Please be seated. Our key scripture this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, uh, this book of the Bible named after my son. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 28. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your iniquities, or from all your impurities, and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Do you remember uh, what it was like to live without some of the things that we have today? Do you remember those times? How many of you have ever used a payphone before? <laughs> right? Uh, we could go pretty far back on this. You know, we could talk about what life was like pre-smartphone uh, when we didn't have an entire world of information available to us at all times. Uh, we could talk about what life was like even pre-cell phone when you couldn't necessarily reach anyone, anywhere, anytime. Uh, we could talk about uh, life before the remote control. I know where you had to get up and walk to change the channel or the volume. We were basically barbarians at that time. We were. Uh, perhaps we could go all the way back to before bread was sliced in the store and we had to slice it ourselves at home. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, our lives have changed a great deal. From the time when, uh, you know, most of, from the time when we were born to what we have now and the way that life is now. And, and Vivian, you can probably tell me about a lot of things that have changed since you were born. But here's what's funny. My kids, who are now 13 and 9, will never know really what that's like. Because they were born into a world where we already had all of these things. And the information and the technology and all that stuff is just speeding up. So who knows what is going to be in place when they are my age, the ripe old age that I am at, and they look back and see how their lives have changed. But I wonder, you know, sometimes I hear people talking about how, uh, how, much, better life may be, how much better life was or easier life was or or, you know, going back before all of these things. And if you were to try to talk my kids into living without all of this stuff that we have today, they would think you are crazy. And they might be moderately right for most of you. Um, because they just, the question that I, I'm sure they would say is, well, yeah, I, I could live without these things, but why would I want to? Why would I want to not have this? You know, when God was speaking through Ezekiel to his people, he was, he was telling them about a time that was going to come. 
And the time that was going to come was going to be this time where God would bring them out and take them to the land that he had promised them where they would be restored to him. And something I, I want us to note is this, that one of the hallmarks of this time when God takes the people to the, to the place where he establishes them, where the relationship is restored, one of the hallmarks of that time is the presence of his spirit in his people. And we saw this last week as we went through the Old Testament and looked at all of the different scriptures and things. God wants his spirit to be with his people. And, and he empowered the leaders and those that were taking his people to, to, to live with him and to be like him, he gave them his spirit to help them be in that place. And, and when Ezekiel is speaking to the people of God and they are away from God, what do they not have? The spirit of God. But when God looks forward to living with them again and being with them again, he says, his spirit will be with them, it will be in them, it will move them to help follow. And then he says in verse 28, then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, you will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. We've talked a lot about some of the ideas and things that, that we just didn't address when it comes to the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And those views hopefully are expanding every week as we look at what the Bible says about the work of the Spirit. But there's this one thing that I just want to drive home to us again, and that is this. God always intended for his Spirit to dwell with his people. Because, God, because God's people having his Spirit living in them is the way that God has set this up. It is what he desires. And having an active relationship with the Holy Spirit is what shows that God is with us. And that church is why we are spending this time talking about the Holy Spirit. Because we have ignored him and pushed him aside and put him in a corner. But there is something exciting, isn't there? about knowing that God wants his spirit to live in us and that the more we tap into that, the more we will be his people and he will be our God. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so I don't know if you have ever seen uh, this picture before. You're, you're getting there? Here we go. I don't know if you have ever seen this picture before. Um, so I'm going to tell you uh, initially what it's called. This is the uh, checkerboard illusion. And um, this, so there is obviously an illusion with this picture. And, and here's, here's what it is, okay? So... Here on this picture, square A at the top is the same color as square B. I'm positive. So square A at the top is the same color as square B. So there's a problem though, right? 
And the problem is that square A looks like it's a different color than square B. They're not. Square A is the same color as square B. So this is an optical illusion known as the checker shadow illusion. Um, and it's related to something that was called the corn sweet illusion. I know you all know what the corn sweet illusion is, um, who was, which was named after psychologist Tom Cornsweet in the 1960s. So here's why, here's why this particular illusion works the way that it does, okay? It works because of the way that our brains understand contrast and shadows. Um, and so our brain uses relative color and shading to determine the color uh, of objects in an image and in the real world. So in the checker shadow illusion, the brain perceives that the image is lit from a light source coming from where? Coming from the right. That there's light coming this way. And we, we know that because of what? Because of the shadow. Um, that light source casts a shadow on the checkerboard, supposedly making all of the squares that lie in the shadow's path darker, but not so dark that the lighter and darker squares inside and outside of the shadows are indistinguishable. What does that mean, Bryce? <laughs> well, let me show you. Go ahead. Go to the second one. So you see? They are actually the same color. You know why you're not seeing it? Yeah, so this color gray is the same all the way up. And it's, so it's the same as B, and it's the same as A. But even when you look at it in this way, what is your brain still telling you? It's still telling you that there's a shadow, and it's still telling you that this square is lighter than the other square, even though it's the exact same color. It's weird, right? It is. Bonnie, go back to the first one. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, so how many of you remember what color is the dress? Do you remember the what color is the... I didn't use this one this morning. So I think it was last year um, there was a dress that was put on uh, the internet. And the question was, what are the colors of the dress? Some people saw it as white and gold a white dress with gold stripes. Some people saw it as black and blue. Yeah. And uh, so there was all of this. It went around. I'm, I'm so, kind of surprised you haven't heard about it, but it went around and around and around and around with all these arguments about what color the dress was. And when I look at that picture of that dress, I see a white dress with gold stripes. The dress is black and blue. It is. It's a black dress with blue stripes. And so, but here's the funny thing. They show you the dress in, different, in a different picture, in different lighting, and it is clearly black and blue. But because of the lighting in this one picture and the way that our brains are interpreting what we're seeing, yeah, that's it. <laughs> if you can all see Julie Ray's phone, just, just squint a little bit. Squint a little bit. Yeah. So... But, my, but yeah, my eyes saw it as white and gold when it was really black and blue. So our, our brains are looking at this thing, right? And it's saying, well, it's obviously two different colors. But again, go to the second one, Bonnie. It's the same color gray. <laughs> it is. Square A appears to uh, still be darker 
than square B, but it is it is the same color. Now everyone is Googling the uh, <laughs> the illusions. I'll tell you what, you everyone, you just tell me when you're done, okay, and then I'll I'll go join you back. So we have been studying the Holy Spirit, and this morning we are going to specifically look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And um, if I were to ask you this question, how does the Spirit work in the life of Jesus, what would your answer be? Now, here's why this question, I I, I mean, you might have an immediate answer, but let's pause for a second and, and recognize that this question is at times a little bit more complicated than maybe how the Spirit works in your life or in my life. Um, On the other hand, it might not be any challenge at all, but this could be a question that challenges how does the Holy Spirit work in the life of Jesus, that challenges not only our ideas about the Holy Spirit, but also our ideas about Jesus. Um, Why is that? Well, there's, let me just sort of start, you know, at the top here, okay? So, um, simple question for you to ask, to think about. This is not a trick question. Uh, The answer that you are going to think of first is probably the right one. Um, Is there anything that is beyond the scope or power of God? No, okay? Now, we're going to think about this theologically for a moment. Why can there not be anything that is beyond the scope and power of God? Well, because he created everything, right? But why else? Because, right, if there is something that is greater than him, or if he is incapable in some way, then he is not God. Right? Like, he he becomes something else. God becomes something else if there is something he cannot do, or if there are capabilities that are beyond his power. So we know and believe that God can do anything, that he is limitless, because if something limits him, then it takes away from him being God. So there cannot be anything bigger or more powerful than God in existence, okay? Now, there are things that God chooses to do or not to do, such as God chose to give us free will, which gives us the ability to choose God or to not choose God. Uh, But God could have designed things any way he wanted to. Why? Because he's God, and God can do ultimately what he wants to do. So, that's what we believe about God. Now, number two, who do we believe that Jesus is? Jesus is the Son of God. So, is there anything that is beyond the scope or power of Jesus? Virgil, you say yes. Some of you say no. Okay, so this is why the question of the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus becomes more complicated for us because it raises some questions in our mind about not only who Jesus is, but more so Jesus being the Son of God, what did that look like in someone who is completely, who is human? And um, here's... 
here's where we have sort of gone toward this historically. Uh, Jesus, like God, has to be in control of every situation, and so he has to know and understand what he is doing in order to be the Lord and Savior. And there is sort of this untouchable quality to him that people have argued for over for years, the mixture between the human and the divine of Jesus, okay? And so here's part of, here's part of what we struggle with, all right? If Jesus is not sort of this self-contained, all-knowing, all-powerful being, then what do we have a hard time with? If he's not that, then he's not God. And so how does that mixture of like God and Jesus and the divine and the human, how does that mix? And so most of the time, we would probably argue that Jesus is aware of everything that God is aware of, that Jesus could do all the things that God could do. And we're not necessarily wrong about that. We're, we're not necessarily wrong um, about that. But I want you to, to notice something. Uh, in the Gospels, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus certainly knows a lot of things about himself, and, and he talks about what he's doing and talks about the mission that God has him on. But the, the Jesus that you see in the book of John is different in some fundamental ways. So for example, in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus goes to the garden to pray, what does he pray in the garden? Right, God, if, if there is another way for this to happen, then let's do that, but not my will, but yours be done. Right, this is the prayer he prays. Well, in John, when Jesus goes, he prays for all of his followers, and he doesn't pray for himself. So we even see it reflected in, in the Gospels, this tension between who Jesus is and what he needs and what he doesn't need. And we know that Jesus is really, really plugged into God. But then how all that works is a little bit of a mystery to us, right? I mean, it just is. There's, there's some things that we, that we may not ever really understand. Now, here's why I wanted to bring this up this morning. It's for this reason— We've talked a lot about how historically our church, the Churches of Christ, have struggled with the idea of the Holy Spirit and its purpose and its meaning and if it even exists in an active, indwelling form anymore. And, and the answer that we have most often come to is that the Spirit is in the Word of God, and so our reading of it and understanding the Word is where we encounter the Spirit, and that's it, Okay. And, and that's sort of what we've boiled it down to. But here's how this has played out. I have, uh, in some conversations that I've had with people over the years, they have so removed the Holy Spirit from the equation of things that they actually believe that to elevate the Holy Spirit and to talk about the Holy Spirit and to make it something that is important and crucial is actually idolatry because it elevates the Holy Spirit to a level of equality with God and Jesus that the Holy Spirit shouldn't have. Okay? Now, I know, that's, I know that hopefully that sounds a little bit weird to you. Okay? It sounds weird to me too. So I just, don't ask me to explain it anymore. I don't know that I can. <laughs> this is just one of the arguments that came out. But then again, you know what? We have sort of prioritized these things, right? So the Trinity is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we had to rank them, 
how would we rank them? Probably just like we said it. Okay? And, and so maybe our answer would be like Lydia's and say, well, they're all one, so you don't really rank them. But I would say that, uh, yes, we do. <laughs> and I don't, even know, I don't even know if we could get away from ranking them. I mean, I think, I think it's so ingrained in us just in the way we have learned to look at God and to look at Jesus and to look at the Holy Spirit that we have made the Holy Spirit less essential and less of a priority. God is all-powerful. Jesus is self-sufficient. He's not dependent on anything else because he has this innate Godness about him. And then what the struggle has been that is if Jesus needs the Holy Spirit, then is there something lacking about him? Now, here's the deal, though. So many times when we are exploring God and exploring our faith and exploring spirituality, we ask all the wrong questions. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, it's good to ask questions. But we, and it's even good to ask the wrong questions sometimes. But at some point, we have to recognize that they're the wrong things for us to focus on. Because we can often run down a rabbit hole and get fixated on one small point that may not be the most important point. So I'm going to tell you something this morning that maybe is going to make 100% sense to you, but it, here it is, okay? Jesus completely relied on the Holy Spirit. Jesus completely relied on the Holy Spirit. And it was not a bad thing, and it doesn't take away from Jesus at all. Because when we say, well, does it make Jesus less Jesus-y? If he has to rely on the Holy Spirit, we are focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on the question of who Jesus is instead of focusing on the way that God works and the way that God wants to work and the way that God has planned to work even in the life of Jesus. Even in the life of Jesus. Okay, so this morning, uh, last week, we journeyed through the Old Testament to look at all of these different passages about the Holy Spirit. This morning, we are going to journey through the Gospels and look at how the Holy Spirit worked in the life of Jesus. And you don't really have to look far to find the work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. So part of the reason that he exists at all in human form is because the Spirit created him within Mary's womb. So from Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so what do we learn about the Spirit and Jesus from the beginning? 
The Spirit was there, okay? And we saw this last week. When you look back at the story of Genesis, the Spirit was part of the creative process. It was hovering over the waters as, as the, everything that we know was created. It was the breath of God that was breathed into uh, the lumps of earth to give them life. And when God decided to create Jesus as this son of God, this human person, could God have just snapped his fingers? Could he have just spoken it? Could he have just willed it? Yes. I mean, God could have done it any way he could or any way he wanted to, but what did God, how did God make this happen? He sent the Spirit, and the Spirit creates Jesus within Mary. I mean, that's, that's just how it happened. And so the Holy Spirit plays a significant role in the life of Jesus from the very beginning, even in his very existence, okay? Even in his very existence. Now, secondly, Jesus was marked by the Spirit, okay? He was marked by the Spirit. From Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. All right, so this was a significant moment in the life of Jesus. It's, it's sort of like his, his coming out party, if you will. And um, John has been out in the wilderness. He's been baptizing people. He's been telling everyone, someone is coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And it's the promised one, the Son of God. And so Jesus comes and he is baptized by John. And in one of the accounts, John is like, no, 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 I'm not going to baptize you because you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, no, I, I need to be baptized so that scripture can be fulfilled. And so Jesus is baptized and then the Spirit comes down like a dove. Okay, it's not really a dove, but it's like a dove. It's this indescribable moment where, again, the author is challenged to say what happened, and the only way they can describe it is that, well, it's kind of like this. Uh, it's, it, it's like this sort of event. And how did God choose to let the world know who Jesus is? It is in this moment where the Holy Spirit descends on him, and then heaven opens up, and God says, this is, in fact, my son. Ta-da! Right? That's, that's, what God, that's what God does. So why would this have been a significant event? Why is this the first thing that happens here in, in the, the sort of the coming out party for Jesus? Well, what did we see last week when we looked at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? What did Moses have? Spirit. What did Joshua have? What did David have? <laughs> what did all of their great leaders have? The Spirit of God, the presence of God. All the great leaders had the Spirit. And when Isaiah wrote about the coming Messiah, what would the Messiah have in extra measure? The Spirit. Uh, so when Jesus announced himself, the Spirit needed to be present because it was going to help people recognize that he was the one that God had promised. And so the Spirit needed to come on him in this demonstrative way so that there was no question as to whether he is one from God and two, the one that God had promised would come. 
And John the Baptist uh, talked about this when, when he gave his account in the book of John. And here it is from John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. How did John know, according to the book of John, that Jesus was the Son of God? It was the Spirit. It wasn't because Jesus walked up and said, Hello, would you like my card? It says Son of God on it. Right? That's not why. John knew who Jesus was. People discovered who Jesus was because the Spirit of God was on him. And if the Spirit of God is on him, then he is from who? God. And he is empowered to do things for who? God. And to lead people into relationship with who? God. And that's what John is saying. He has the Holy Spirit, and then what is he going to be able to do? Baptize people into the Holy Spirit. Okay? He needs, the Spirit is there on him to mark him to show that he belongs to God. So, number three. Jesus was not only marked by the Spirit, he was also, are you ready for this one? Led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. Now, if he was led by the Spirit, what does that mean? If he followed, good. He followed where the Spirit told him to go. All right? He followed where the Spirit told him to go. From Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, and this is right after his baptism, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, the word sent here is from a uh, very strong verb uh, called, I can't say it correctly, but ekbalo, uh, meaning to drive out, expel, or send away. And Mark used it to, uh, in the, the same word, to talk about driving out demons. Uh, so this is, this is what the Spirit did with Jesus. And the thought is that of like a strong compulsion by which the Spirit led Jesus to take, to go out into the wilderness and to face the temptations that, that Satan would, would throw in front of him. So why did Jesus go out into the wilderness to face the temptations? Because the Spirit compelled him to go. It told him, go, and Jesus followed its lead. When the Spirit directed Jesus, Jesus listened to it. Now, this gets back to that, well, but what does that do with Jesus? Well, we're asking the wrong question. A question we should ask in response maybe to, well, does that change Jesus at all, is this one. Why do we have a problem with Jesus following the Spirit of God. Don't we want Jesus to be led by the Spirit? Don't we want Jesus to to know or be told what God wants to do and then to follow God into that? Don't don't we want that? So if we're having a a struggle with this, it's it's not really Jesus' problem, it's ours. You know? 
And it's not really all that crazy of concept because we know that Jesus gladly submitted himself to the will of the Father. In fact, he says, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. I can only do what the Father tells me to do. Which means that Jesus is actively doing what? He is actively listening to God. And how is God speaking to Jesus? Through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of him. He is speaking to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so, so we see that Jesus is embracing this because the Holy Spirit is from God and Jesus is all about doing the things of God. And the Spirit led him into the will of the Father. But, but Bryce, like, didn't Jesus innately know the will of the Father? I mean, he's the Son of God. Doesn't he know? And you could argue, yes, but why would we assume that a huge part of Jesus knowing the will of the Father was the Spirit of God living inside of him. Why would we want to separate those two things? As if Jesus doesn't need the Spirit to know. Because what are we seeing as we look at the Holy Spirit more and more? This is the way that God forms and leads and guides his people through the indwelling of his Spirit. It's part of the plan. It's part of the equation. It's two plus two equals four. It's, this is just what it is. And, and so we, we need to be careful when we try to separate them out and say, well, it, it can't really work that way. Uh, next one, number four. When Jesus returned from the wilderness, he was filled with the Spirit. So he's been marked by the Spirit. He's been led by the Spirit. He's been Uh, filled with the Spirit. From Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, so Jesus is led by the Spirit, he's marked by the Spirit, but he was also filled with it. And as we were saying just a moment ago, it's part of what I think helped Jesus to know and and follow through with the will of God. And, And then when he talks about himself here, using the words of Isaiah, what things kind of stick out to you? What sticks out to you from this passage? Number one, right? He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. But what else? What kind of feeling, what kind of sense do you get from this? What is the Spirit doing? It's on him, and what is it doing? What's that? Anointing Anointing him? What else? Power. Power. It's giving him power and authority. Good. Because the Spirit of God is living inside him. So look at what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So these are all things that we know Jesus does. Jesus teaches, he heals, he restores, he raises someone from the dead. But this 
passage from, that he reads from Isaiah, and in fact this whole passage here from Luke, tells us, a little bit, tells us a little bit about how Jesus actually does these Jesus-y things. How does he do these Jesus-y things? Through the power of God's Spirit. It is, it is sending, it is ascending him, it is anointing him with that, which that word means like the power of God coming on him. And then, and this is sort of funny, but then he says, I am, now that the Spirit has anointed me, I am now going to go out and preach, proclaim who God is. I am going to go out and do all of these things that God has empowered me to do through the Spirit. And that takes us to the last part here. Jesus was, his, his power and his ability and all those things came from the Spirit of God living inside of him. From Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, there's a lot that's going on here, but you know, there are a lot of moments that I love with Jesus when he's interacting with people and talking with people, and this is, this is just an insight into my weird mind. But I really love it when Jesus puts people in their place by using, are you ready for it? Logic. I mean, he could, he could, tear, he could, he could teach this in any way he wants to. But he hears this argument you know, that he's driving out demons with the power of the Spirit of God, and they're saying, well, it's not the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of Beelzebub because you're driving out demons. And, you know, Jesus has this moment where he's like, I, I just imagine, I imagine, you guys are idiots. <laughs> where it's just like, come on. And so the first thing he does is he lays down this very logical argument. Why would I drive out demons if I am on their side? Like, wouldn't I want them to possess people? And so he gives this argument. Well, it, you know, if a house is fighting against itself, it's not going to stand. And so if it's really kind of pretty counterproductive for me to go driving out demons if we're on the same team. So do you want to rethink that argument? 
Would you like to, would you like to come at that one again? Because what you're suggesting doesn't make sense. And then I, I love that he talks about robbing someone. <laughs> like, it's, it's a great example. But he goes, if you're going to go into, you know, the strong man's house, what do you first need to do? You've got to take care of the strong man first, right? Because if you don't take care of the strong man first, then he's still strong. So <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have some trouble doing this. But then it's the last part of this that I really want us to focus on now. Um, and here's basically what Jesus says here at the end of this passage. He says, you can talk about me, and you will be what? But if you badmouth the Spirit, what's going to happen? You will not be forgiven. Now, what is so fascinating about that? What is fascinating about that idea? And here's, here's what I love about it. We have spent time minimizing the work of the Spirit and trying to put the Spirit into terms and things we can understand and to try to explain what the Spirit does and how it does it and to make it this thing that is, you know, the second cousin once removed of Jesus. You invite that cousin to family things, but you don't really care if they're there. I hope none of you actually feel that way about your family, but, you know, you might, you might. Um, but that's what makes these words of Jesus so fascinating. We've spent all this time trying to downplay the Spirit, and what does Jesus himself say about the Spirit? What does he say about the Spirit? He says, look, you can mess with me all you want, but you better not go after the Spirit of God because that is something that cannot be forgiven. And it puts into context, again, what Jesus said. We talked about it two weeks ago. It is better for me to go away so that the Spirit can come and live in you. Jesus wholeheartedly believes in the power of God's Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, living and working within people. In fact, one of the great things that comes from Jesus being here and dying for us and raising again is that the Spirit of God gets to live inside of us. Not just Moses or David, inside of all of us. The Spirit of God gets to live inside of us. This is a huge part of the work of Jesus in this place to allow God to dwell inside of us and to baptize people with the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit can come on them too and can form them and guide them and lead them into the places where God wants them to go. Jesus relied on the Spirit. Jesus had the Spirit. He was powered by the Spirit. He was marked by the Spirit. And he followed wherever the Spirit took him. He was led by the Spirit of God. And Jesus had no problem with that. Why? Because, again, whose spirit is it? It's his father's. And he only does what his father tells him to do. And how does God 
lead him and tell him what to do? Through the power of the Spirit. Living in him, leading him, empowering him, and leading him to the place that God wanted him to go. Which shows us that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not working against each other. There's no power struggle or bitter rivalry. Jesus is not the older brother who's angry at the younger brother when the younger brother comes home. There's, there's none of that. There is no jockeying for position or one being more important than the other. Instead, and this is, as we move forward, this is something for us to really appreciate. And I know I've said this a million times. I'm going to say it a million more. God uses his spirit to lead and guide and empower and form us. And that's how he works. That's what he does. It's the spirit living amongst us. And even in the life of Jesus, even in the life of Jesus, the spirit is leading and forming and empowering. And if it's good enough for Jesus, shouldn't it be good enough for us? Bonnie, if you'd bring up that last picture. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, You know, (laughs) well, I said said this in the first week, and, and, you know, the Spirit is a challenging thing. It's a challenging idea. Um, being led by God isn't a challenging idea. God living inside of us is a challenging idea. And sometimes when we're looking at these things, we're having to overcome our own things. So just like looking at this picture, and some of you are just extremely stubborn. Um, <laughs> I, I am not thinking of anyone in particular. No one in these general areas. Um, our brain keeps telling us, well, it can't be this, or it can't be that, or it has to be this, or it has to be that. When, what are they? Just humor me. They're the same. They're the same. They may look different. They're even in different positions on the board. But you know what? They're the same. And with the Holy Spirit, and with Jesus, and with God, this idea that somehow they are separated and prioritized, we need to put that idea away. Because what we are seeing from what the Bible says about the Spirit is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together. Yes. Um, n- no, it, it is, <laughs> you should have asked me this after church, Virgil. Come on, dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm concluding here, and you're asking about the color green. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> um, no, it, it is there to cast a shadow. So that's, that's why it's there. But I, I do, you know, I, I do think it is so, it is so interesting. It is so interesting. Because I, I, I see what, I see what the struggle is. I see what the struggle is because, again, my brain is trying to interpret what it is that I'm seeing and to put it into terms that make sense to me. 
And even if we were to pull those things out and see them be exactly the same right next to each other, what would we still be saying? Oh, well, now they're the same, but they're not the same in that picture. Right? Because what do we get caught up in? Having something make sense to us. And so we have gone to great lengths to try to explain the spirit or to explain why maybe our experience isn't what we see in the Bible. Or to explain different things about why it makes sense this way or that way. But the one thing that we are going to see over and over and over again in this study is that God uses his spirit as a primary method to lead and guide and empower his people, even Jesus. Even Jesus. And Jesus was grateful for God's spirit living in him. Yes. So, if it was such an important part of Jesus' life, ministry, power, guidance, wisdom, being plugged into God in that way, shouldn't it be a little bit more important to us too? Amen? Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your spirit which lives inside of us. God, we don't understand how it works and we have separated the spirit out. We have made it less important to try to put things in places that make sense to us. Uh, But God, I pray this morning that as we have seen that your spirit gives power, gives guidance, gives wisdom, gives all that's needed to help us be your people, that God, we would desire more of your spirit in every moment, in everything that we do in all times. And God, will you show us how the Spirit wants to live in us and change us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If your needs or prayers this morning, you want to know um, this God who loves you and who wants to give you a Spirit-powered life, His presence living in you, anything that you need this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.